Hello, spacers, and welcome to Space Roots. Today on the show, we have Arsenio, who likes to refer to himself as the hardware wizard. Uh, he'll be sharing insights about small sats and space. I'm glad you could be on the show. Hello. Uh, so tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your story, how you got into the small sat community and working on small satellites and uh, where you're at now. Hi, uh, I'm Arsenio. I'm a small uh, time lab rat over at NASA Goddard. I basically am the guy they throw hardware at and say, hey, solve this problem. We've got this specific thing going wrong and we need you to fix it. I love that. <laughs> oh. So how do, how do you get into building small sats? How do you get into like, this position? Well, that's a long, long, complicated story. Uh, it all starts back in 2013, though. Uh, I, I don't remember which year of high school it was. It was a long-ass time ago. <laughs> and uh, so 2013 rolls around sometime mid-September. Some classmates asked me, hey, you want to go watch a rocket launch? I get very confused because I did have a spaceport local to us. This was back when I lived up in Maryland, uh, and they were they were like, yeah, we're serious. There's a rocket launching. You want to come with us? What? Yes. Of course. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> this is, is this a question? The answer is yes. It's like asking, do you want money? <laughs> do, you, do I want money? The answer is yes. <laughs> but anyway, essentially, uh... The, uh, watching the Lunar Atmosphere and Dust Environment Explorer launch was uh, what really lit off something inside me saying, I want to do that. I want to send something off world. Yes. Uh, through uh, about, what was it? Six years later, I have my satellite off heading off world on a CRS 19. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. I, and that was a that was a ridiculous one because I basically took a last minute flight after the first scrub, bought a ticket, and then just zipped down there. So you you built so how long did watch. how did you long did it take you to build this? So you did you already have the satellite or did you like book it and then like all right boys we got <laughs> get the, get all the Red Bull? <laughs> no 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 no. I was uh, part of a small satellite team over at NASA. Uh, okay. Uh, and they uh, they've been working on the satellite systems for about eight to twelve years, depending on who you ask in the team, and when they actually declared as the real start of the program. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're not exactly sure how to miniaturize it or bring it down in size to be part of a satellite. Okay. All right. Because, cool. okay, so the initial first three generations took up a deer-sized uh, and required about, what was it, half a kilowatt of power from the mains to run, which was uh, not satellite-ready. Yeah. We ended up shrinking it down to about a little bit smaller than a shoebox and only required about maximum at full bore of, like, what was it, six watts, and most of that was the laser. Oh, wow. That's really good. Wait, wait. So, was this kind of like a phone sat along the lines of phone sat? No, 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 no. We we are uh, we are uh, we rode on a well. Our satellite was built around a Lawrence Livermore six U bus. Okay. 
So we were not a small satellite okay. by any means. We were a rather large satellite. I gotcha. I mean, what, in what were well, you doing? In, in, well, in, in the world of in the satellites, we were a little dabby satellite. But mm-hmm. right in the, in the world, world small, of small sats, satellites, yeah, we are a big one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for uh, just shy of four U of that was allocated to our instrument. And and for the listeners who aren't familiar, four U is four cubesats, right? Is that right? Four one U cubesats, and a cubesat is uh, one U is I believe four pocket. All right. So that that would be what like uh, one U is eleven centimeters. I believe so. Uh, but. The easiest way to visualize it is imagine two slice, uh, two sliced loaves of bread, like uh, white sandwich bread, next to each other. All right, you make. That's me about as big as we were. You know, hey, not my fault. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so we had pulled out solar panels wrapped around us and uh, swung out like wings to stabilize us when we were not tracking the sun. Okay, so you were. You, so what were? What was the goal of the mission? So the goal of the mission was uh, to basically put the laser heterodyne radiometer in space, uh, uh, so we could is... see uh, what it does. Uh, uh, you, you broke up right I'll there. I'll give you the five minute. Okay. The main goal of this was to put the laser heterodyne radiometer into space. The okay. ra- the, well, you're like, what is the laser heterodyne <laughs> radiometer? <laughs> that sounds like a heart condition. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no heart condition involved. It does involve lasers, though, which makes it immediately 100% cooler. Yes. So laser heterodyne radiometer is essentially uh, a spectrometer that can scan across a very tight uh, band of about, what was it, 5 to 10 nanometers. We were using, I believe, 9 nanometers on our final flight version. Okay. Uh, what you do is you basically have a collimator. You point it at the sun. Then you uh, launch that sunlight into a fiber, modulating on and off that fiber at a 400 hertz to create a chop. Take that modulated 400 hertz light, mixing it with a telecom laser that we scan across about, uh, well, the 9 nanometers. You, by controlling current and temperature, it allows us to sweep back and forth and then dump that signal. With the two of them mixed together via, uh, what is it, fiber optic splitter that we're running backwards. Dump that onto a in-gas detector, NGM gas to uh, allow us to see the, the square signals because we're operating right around the 1650 nano uh, band. Okay. That That is a and lot of... Using, that's we're a only lot. at the optical part of the path. <laughs> <laughs> it, it gets a little more complicated. <laughs> now, okay. we take that signal and based on uh, the slight differences in the... Wait, no, hold on a second. I just remember we forgot this part. So we take that 400 hertz signal that's also driving the modulator. All right. This time on the electrical side, mix that with the uh, analog signal that's coming off of the uh, detector. Wait, why do we mix that with the the analog signal? Why why do you need the uh, analog signal? We mix it with... All right, hold on. Uh, Connection is stabilized. So we're mi- mixing the analog signal with the digital signal because we're trying to pull out a frequency reference. Okay. We're using what's called a lock and amplifier to, to pull the signal out of the noise because the signal we're looking for is very small. All right. When you mix uh, two 
identical square oh no not square weight that really nasty uh mm. harmonics off those but uh when you mix two sine waves together by multiplying them you get two products you get one at dc that's proportional to the amplitude of your signal and you get another product at two times the frequency all right so you stick a low pass filter on that and then that allows you to see the dc signal which is extremely easy to detect and digitize Okay. So essentially, what we were doing is we're taking that beat signal uh, and then dumping that into our uh, TNC's ADC because the TNC controlled everything. The TNC was the one controlling the scan. The TNC was the one controlling the uh, comms via SPA CAN back to the main bus. The TNC was the one doing the digitization. Okay. Right. And then basically, it knows when it started, so then it starts capturing the uh, signal and then based on that scan which we then sent back down or in this or in most of our ground-based instruments because we had a fleet of I want to say 15 of these things on the ground and we take that data run it through a planetary spectrum generator which tells us what our expected spectra is for something like say earth uh, it would tell us in parts per million and or parts per billion how much water vapor, carbon dioxide, and methane was in the atmospheric column between the sensor and the sun. Okay. All right. So what? Like, what was the the whole point of of all this this hardware? Like, what what were you trying to discover or find out? Oh, we were trying to uh, basically prove out this technology that we had proven on Earth in space because nobody ever put one in space before. Okay. All right, so just like, been, hey, look at us. We can we can do this. Okay, cool. We did something cool with very little money because, yeah, uh, I, I don't think I'm allowed to disclose the uh, actual flight cost of our satellite, but we got a killer deal on the full stack, and we're originally supposed to go on Virgin Orbit, but uh, the Air Force, now Space Force, uh, was like, okay, we're going to send you guys up because we have another slot that opened up. We'll just put you on a Falcon 9. Nice. Oh, that was like first class for your satellites right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, what, wow, what did it... I mean, that, that's... Like, with all the, the jargon you, you threw out there, the ankle jargon, um, I feel like it's perfect for cocktail parties. Like, when, when they ask, what do you do? You're like, oh, I, I'm working with... Um, I, I mean, yeah, just list, like, half of those, and, and they'll think you're, like, this super genius, which you probably are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually not. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. Okay. So you got and you launched this last year, was it? Yes, December of last year. Oh, that is that is that's amazing. So are you, are you, are you working on anything new now, or you aren't allowed to? Oh uh, yes, to say? it was about uh, t two years ago uh, that unfortunately our team's funding was not renewed, and oh. so we basically had to do our closeout operations on it. Oh, which no. kind of sucked because we had to say goodbye to all the team and stuff. Uh, so a fair amount of us, the team members, have scattered to the wind. Uh, I'm still at NASA, though. Uh, I've shifted over to a different atmospheric sensing project, uh, the Aerosol Robotic Optical Observing Network, or Aeronet. Okay, Ari, right, that's like uh, Skynet's older brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and, and so what, what are you trying to do in that mission? Uh, on this mission, I'm basically the hardware wizard still. They basically, they tell me, hey, we got this problem, we need you to solve it. 
Okay. All right. All right. So, all right. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. And so, tell us a bit My about my current project. Oh no! Go 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 ahead. Uh, my current project with them is a Linux uh, cellular board to bridge across communications, so we can get immediate same hour data from uh, instruments that were built in the 1990s or uh, the slightly newer instruments that were built in 20 in the early 2000s well early mid 2000s uh, that have very bad cellular modems that are poorly supported okay so you're just you're trying to you're, you're making is this a small satellite or is this just a um Looks like any is this actual hardware you're working on, or is this more of like a system to be able to contact these outdated, um, or port? it's actual hardware. It's actual hardware. Okay, that you're sending up into space. It's actual hardware. No, no, no. This is terrestrial, sadly. Okay, all right. Uh, I, I, I think I've, I think I've done my uh, space time. I hope to return to space stuff, but for at the moment, I'm working on uh, some ground-based stuff. Although I have recently sent some software and. Uh, connections i've soldered into space as well but those aren't quite as cool that is just it's like that is just so um, like amazing to think that something that you worked on is actually orbiting earth right now i mean uh yeah my satellite should still be up there i mean that's just i i mean i that that must have been an incredible moment for you Oh, absolutely! Probably one of the absolute highlights of my last decade. <laughs> oh, I mean, short yeah, of was, actually going to space. I mean, yeah. It was a hell of a way to close out the decade too, because it <laughs> happened in uh, early December. Oh yeah! Oh, that must have been. Um, oh, that was. Oh, wow! What an experience! Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, what is? Like, what are the basic systems? I don't think anyone's on the show has really broken down a small set. So you have, I mean, I know they're all different, but are they different in that, um, like, each of them is just like a completely different animal, or do they all have similar, like, power systems, control methods of control, communications, and that sort of thing? They just like add a different sensor. Like, to break us down, break for us, break us down what is involved in a satellite in the hardware aspect of it. All right. So, uh, it depends on what you're talking about. For example, uh, you can have a full in-house built custom satellite, like, uh, for example, the planet doves, I believe those ones are full from ground up everything from their flight direction control to stack, uh, power systems, uh, and onboard camera are, in-house designs that's basically the only way they'd be able to turn around and churn them out with the, such rates due to the commercial off-the-shelf components being uh pretty expensive and not exact uh, high so the primary systems of a small satellite are you've got your power system that turns sunlight into energy mm -hmm. and stores it you've got your uh, flight direction system assuming you have one that allows you to uh, control your attitude which is where you're pointing uh, and you've got your primary side in addition to your comms. So those are your four main components of a small satellite. The communications allows you to talk to your satellite, send commands to it, see what it's, ask it, how, how are you doing? What's your power levels like? Uh, are, is your orbit okay? 
Do you have GPS lock? Do you know where you're pointing? Do you have sunlight? Do you have power? Are your batteries warm enough? Mm. Are your main computers warm enough? Oh, yeah, that would be a problem because uh, do you guys um, normally use lithium-ion or do you use a different mixture for, for batteries? Because I know lithium-ion so, won't charge in, like, freezing conditions. So most satellites don't use lithium-ion. Uh, okay. A fair amount of the student-built ones do use AT650s with just uh, sl- uh, gentle heaters on them to prevent them from freezing. Mm-hmm. But on uh, our bus, I believe, I don't remember exactly which battery topology we use, but I want to say we use a lithium uh, manganese iron battery. Oh, I, I'm not sure if I've heard you of know, that it, one. Yeah, no, it was a uh, LIFEPO. Oh, a LIFEPO. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah LIFEPO. Yeah. Okay, no, yeah. yeah. And aren't those... Yeah, it's a lithium manganese iron phosphate. That's what it is. Yes, okay, the phosphate. Yeah, aren't they relatively new? Like, I heard, like, 2014. They are relatively new. They command a decent price, but... They're far more stable at lower temperatures and higher temperatures. Uh, they're intrinsically safe. You short them, they will not explode uh, and do not have uh, gaseous release as a failure mode, which is pretty important in space. Lithium ions, however, if you short them, they will get. They can have a gaseous or flame release method of failure. Okay. And wait, how, how exactly, I mean, that doesn't sound good, but how exactly does that play out in space? Like, you, you know... Uh, for some reason it, it shorts out and on your small set and th- then what happens like what, what's the cascading effect well the cascading effect is well first off it could gen well depending on where your battery is placed it could be either uh function as a large uncontrolled thrust moment okay. or it could be a explosive uh failure due to the lower pressures that could cause uh I was going to say FOD, but that's not the right terminology. Uh, space junk damage with a debris ejection. Uh, so it essentially it explodes. Yeah, essentially it just creates more debris that could hit other things and cause problems. Got it. Right. And we, we very much, we do want the least amount of debris in space as we possibly can. <sighs> yeah. And Okay. That would be correct. <laughs> I mean... Fast-moving particles at thousands of miles an hour is not healthy to satellites. What? <laughs> yeah, they 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 don't want a, even a little uh, space debris <laughs> as a treat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, in the I mean, how recently did people start getting aware of negative space debris? Like, were we aware of this as, as soon as the space as we launched stuff into space, or was it like? our nuclear program where it's like, oh, let's blow up some stuff. Oh, what could possibly go wrong with this? And then later you're like, oh, wow, this this could have some serious consequences. Or, yeah, like like how, how, how recent is our awakening to the dangers of space debris? So as for the recency of when we figured this out, uh, it was actually not the Cold War uh, nuclear program. Stuff like Test Shot Starfish, uh, where we set off nukes in space, created minimal debris at best because, well, you vaporize it. Right. No, but, but I was saying, like, the similar mentality of, you oh, know, testing We'll, we'll worry out. about it later, yes. Yeah. Uh, so that was part of the problem because we always assumed it was going to be an issue, but we thought, oh, space is giant. We don't need to worry <laughs> about it that much. And so we just willy-nilly started dropping things in space and creating debris problems. 
Uh, and then with the booming launch industry, uh, the numbers started spiking. People were like, hey, oh, you really shouldn't do this. This is a bad thing. Yeah. So now we have debris control methodologies where we attempt to jettison as little on uh, stable orbits as possible and try to minimize uh, stuff like lens cover jettisoning so they actually flip up. Wait, wait, wait. Instead what, wait, what of being flip up? Lens covers. Because typically they're uh, spring launched away. Oh, but I instead see. Instead, they flip up, which creates a rotary moment that you have to cancel out. But if you've got a direction system for a camera, it's not that big of a deal. Okay. Most of the time, you can uh, pass that out with magneto torquers, uh, depending on where you are in the system. Uh, you can pass that out with magneto torquers. So you basically just grab onto the Earth's magnetic field and reorient yourself that way. All right. Without fuel cost. So yeah, it, it's or you not, calculate that into your fuel costs. So it, it's a not a terribly difficult problem to fix if we're aware of it. Is, is yes, it, it's not that difficult. Right. But uh, the but, main problem is uh, basically just telling people, "Hey, be a good steward of space." Right. Yeah. Yeah, because it, well, I mean, there's less players like in our. Terran environment, you know, there's billions of people, you know, that each have a part to play. But in space, there's not as many actors. So I assume getting, um, getting people to agree, since there's just less people to, to have be aware of. Oh, hey, um, don't, you know, don't throw trash into space. That's, it's a bad idea. <sighs> yeah. Man. Yep. So. What about other countries on other space programs? Like, is it just like an American European thing uh, about like decreasing debris in space, or is there kind of like this global awareness for space debris? There's a global awareness of it. It's uh, well, some countries can just like brush it off because they don't have many launches. Right. But uh, re in recent events, things like the Indian ASAT test. Oh, yeah. Where they uh, took out one of their old satellites, created a massive debris field. Wait, what? Initially, they they did you didn't that? hear about this. I did not hear about this. What happened? This does not sound good. They were like, "Oh, we need to demo this new technology. Splash that satellite!" Wait, 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 wait. But but I, I'm still confused. Why did they think it was necessary for them to blow up a a satellite for the for the flex power, but also to showcase their technology that they have the capability to take out satellites now. Ooh, big deal! <laughs> but they're only the they're only the third nation to do it. We did it back in the '80s and a couple times. Uh, Russia did it a couple times as well. Uh, fun fact: the '80s test was the only uh, confirmed spacecraft kill by an F-15. Actually, still any human pilot, the only confirmed spacecraft kill. <laughs> Wait, so there's a, there's a dude in an F-15. There's an F-15 in a museum that has a spacecraft marker on it. <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> wow one dude has killed the spacecraft that is that's legendary right there <laughs> like oh yes <laughs> oh the only guy to oh my goodness <laughs> oh this uh the debris will only be up there for about six months six months later uh the bulk of it's still up there Oh gosh! Yeah, that. Yeah, and uh, Spacecom, uh, the people over in the military who track this stuff, and NORAD are uh, 
basically keeping a massive catalog of debris objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, they have to because that way we can... And that's the whole... I, I mean, I guess we should probably say this. I want to get uh, Patrick on um, since he's working on the petition to make for small satellites being classified as space debris. Um, so they can be tracked and get TLEs? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure on the details. I just know he, he's working on a petition... Uh, with that would I mean I'm I'm not trying the details and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speculate until we get him on here but yeah um yeah that that's uh that's definitely gonna be a problem uh we'll have to cautiously a- approach um but anyways getting back to the 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 small sat subsystems so you have the the power that, that harvests uh from the solar uh, from uh, uh the from the sun. And then you have the communications. Yeah. Is is that just like Wi-Fi or is it radio? Like no, LoRa. So that can be anything from like LoRa on the low end, which works pretty okay actually. To a little bit higher power RFM sixty nines running. Uh, uh, what is it? On the ham radio bands and using that to beat down their chronometry or just say, "Hey, I'm alive." Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way up to like S band and X band stuff. Okay, all right, and then okay, and what what are some? Uh, or or if or even Iridium. Our satellite was using an Iridium communications network. Iridium? I've yeah, I, I basically. Uh, yeah, it's used as a global uh, cell phone essentially because it's from satellites up in a high Earth orbit. Oh, okay. So cool. basically, it's a satellite pinging another satellite that then pings it back down to Earth. Oh, all right, all right. So it, okay. I see. Interesting. All right, that's that's really cool. Um, and what do you? What is normally your, um, like control board? Like, do you make that all custom, or do you get like an off-the-shelf Raspberry Pi, or some equivalent to to do the the job? For the most part, most people build theirs custom. Okay. Uh, uh we had zero interaction with basically. Uh, dealing with building the satellite bus, which is your your comms, power, and flight direction systems. Okay. We were just building our instrument that then integrated with their bus. They were basically like, here's here's your space that you're allowed, here's your mass that you're allowed, uh, and uh, comms details. Using these connectors, here's how you communicate with us. Okay. The, uh, their one, I believe it was a radiation-hardened uh, Atmega running the entire show. You would not usually use a Raspberry Pi due to their relative complexity. Right. You want something that's simple because the less... You want something simple. The less, less, things, to area, less things to fail. But also so, with um, random... I remember uh, Ben was talking about this. Um, like but like the random radiation spikes... Like cosmic rays, or, or I, I don't know what the, the exact bit flips. Yes, bit flips. Yes, that, that's what it was. All right, yeah, so that, 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 yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what is like your the craziest story you have working in space? Like, uh, working in space or space technology? Like, you ever have one of those uh, Apollo 13 moments or like, ah, everything's going wrong. <laughs> no not really it's just regular pretty much regular ops i haven't had to do any wacky spacecraft saves yet 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 
Hey, you always got you always got to keep your options open. You never yeah. know when it's going to happen. I mean, if they call you in when they have a hardware problem, I mean, you'll probably be the first guy to call when they have a hardware problem in space, right? <laughs> yeah, just be like, yeah, go space. Yeah, you're right, I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm the last. I, I'm the person nobody wants to call. Uh, they need to, uh, or something. Yeah. No, that'd be funny. <laughs> um, I have a very particular set of skills. They send me to space. <laughs> yes. Uh, be, yeah, that, that, that'd be fun. Um, okay, cool. And, uh, like, what is something that people get wrong about, like, small sat development or hardware in space or, or any of that? Do people get a lot of stuff wrong about it? Or do they just not have the base knowledge enough to really form an opinion either right or wrong i'm gonna say probably a lot of people don't have the base knowledge to actually form a a good opinion or think out like all the things they need to realize because in order for you to be manifested onto a launch you basically have to comply with all of their regulations for like what you can have on your satellite whether you can meet the safety margins whether you match their deployer rails and there's a lot of engineering complexity that goes into that. Oh, so tell, tell us more about that. Not only that, you also have to register with the FCC to say, hey, we're sending a transmitter up. Because otherwise, they get really angry. Yeah. Okay. All right. right. So, so tell, tell us more about like what it takes to launch a small sat. Um, because you, you, you don't just have the... I mean, you have all the, the, the launch provider has its own set of specifications that I'm assuming they don't share many commonalities. Like, launching with SpaceX is different than launching with NASA, right? Yes. Well, NASA usually contracts via SpaceX or uh, one of the other small sat launchers. Okay. And basically, there's usually, uh, for example, I'll use the Antares. The Antares has a specified... Uh, amount of satellite slots on each of its manifests that are set aside for the state of Virginia because the uh, Virginia paid a large amount towards the space uh, spaceport and not only spaceport recovery after the Antares incident. Wait, then, where what, they had what, a, what is the Antares incident? Where an Antares during, uh, was it T-plus-15, had a turbo pump fail catastrophically, and then the Antares fell back down about 15 feet away from the pad horizontally, cratering it and losing the mission i forget which mission that was but it was uh one of the more recent catastrophic failures of a rocket oh no that's horrible so that repairs was split three ways between nasa the state of virginia and then orbital atk now north of grumman and one of the terms of that was they'd be set aside uh x amount of satellite launches per uh mission where they can basically say, hey, we're putting some student stats on. Oh, so they, they have to put... So that's when, when they say, because I was going to ask about that, when it's for the state of Virginia, what is the state of... Like, Virginia doesn't have its own space agency. But it's saying, no, like, it's, student small sat launches? Exactly. It's for their educational uh, uh, missions, essentially. Uh, it was part of the conditions, and Orbital HK is more than happy to sign off on those as one of their conditions for paying up. Okay, I see. Interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, I remember, uh, we, 
uh, I think it'll be released this Wednesday. Uh, we talked to, um, oh, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher your name. I'm sorry. A Geffen of a heart. Mm, I'm not going to say the last bit. <laughs> um, anyways, and he was saying that, yeah, what, uh, some, uh, not students, but some of the, like the faculty in like high schools or colleges, they do all the development and they use the the launching opportunity for their own research and the students actually don't um don't participate much into the actual building of the spacecraft that gets launched They're like huh that's interesting kind of sad but i mean it makes sense it, it does you don't want a bunch of unruly kids touching your flight hardware <laughs> yeah 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 no i i i get that Oh, that's that's too bad. All right, so what are some of the other specifications for launching the satellite? Like, so you you have you have to um, you do, do you have any like rail like I assume for deployment you have to do something special for that too, right? Yes, you have to comply with their deployer spec, which varies greatly depending on where you're launching from on the satellite, which in the mission, whether you're launching from like. Kibo node on the space station or uh, ride along being disconnected uh, during uh, transfer burns or on an interstage okay. or whether your primary satellite like on a old Russian ICBM launch. Okay. All right. I forget which designator those ones use, but uh, you can get, you can just buy straight up a Russian ICBM launch and say, yeah, I need to send these satellites up. I Oh, interesting. I, wow. I didn't know they still did that. <laughs> so they, no, they still do. They have basically just massive, massive old ICBMs sitting around. Oh, because they're like, hey, we'll turn them into profits. Right. Uh, that makes, that makes, I mean, I'm surprised they still work. I mean, because they're Cold War era, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness! So that that's that's I guess how that would make sense though, because wasn't that how Elon Musk started SpaceX? Was he was trying to get uh, ICBM launch for launching something to the Mars or something? And initially, yes. And then he was then they were like ah they wanted a bunch of money for it and he's he's like oh you know what I'm just gonna do it myself. <laughs> uh, I believe the story was he's like they offered him one. Uh, for eight million, he's like, "Can you do two for eight million? No, <laughs> he's too new at this." So he gets on the plane, goes home, and is like, "I'm gonna build my own." <laughs> I just, I just love that. Oh, oh I love that. <laughs> oh, that's that is legendary right there. Just to to have oh the, definitely the guts to just be like, you know what? I'm I don't care. I'm just gonna I'm gonna do it myself. I don't care. No I believe else that was. 12 years ago, uh, their first launch, I think, was in 2008. Wow. Or, or, uh, that might have been not their first launch, but I remember they were launching in 2008. Wow. I, I, I just can't believe it's been that, that long ago. 12 years to launching a man, uh, to launching uh, not only that, but also launching a crewed mission. It's just like, what? <laughs> oh i know that 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 is that's insane i will well, at first like that's the first truly private like crewed mission right mm -hmm. yeah yeah because like the the other 
all the other companies like Virgin Galactic or, or whatever. They're, Nobody um, else is doing mad missions. Yeah, they're still in like the back and back stage at best. Yeah, and to not only hit that certification, but meet Boeing at it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and and look He's... better. Like they look. Oh man! I mean, it, it's gorgeous. I it's I, I've I've talked plenty about how much I love the the little look of it on the show before. But yeah, no, it's... this suit design is so nice. Like that is something that I could, I I I mean I okay I'd be fine. Blast me into space in a tin can, I'd be happy. But like this just is the icing on the cake. <laughs> and look cool while doing it. Um, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and um. Oh yeah, no, it's it. Yeah, that was that was so cool. And like the what someone pointed out to me, um, was that there's no vibration or like there's very little vibration. Because it, in the old I, old rockets, you you have it like vibrating back and forth, and like, oh, you still have the vibrations. You still have you still absolutely have the vibrations, but it's a much smoother ride on the first stage. Yeah. Second stage was slightly bumpier, apparently. Oh, interesting, huh? But which kind of makes sense because you're running one engine instead of three, so you don't get the th uh, triple damping methodology. Right. Right. Yeah. No. And th and that's kind of. That's the... Because I believe the SSMEs, each of them ran at a slightly different frequency, mm. so that way you didn't get harmonics. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Wow. It's it's it, it's so fascinating. I mean, I I love this stuff. Hearing about, um, just like it's just such an exciting time in space it's like we're, we're finally we're, we're i feel like it's where we should have been at like a decade ago but i mean i'm not complaining <laughs> hey if, if we're doing cool stuff in space again i'm down for it i mean yeah i am too i, I just wish we didn't st i wish we never stopped doing cool space but then again it was prohibitively expensive it got disgustingly expensive yeah like like billion like tens of billions of dollars for like yeah like the, the rocket the shuttle launches i mean those were i mean i never didn't realize how expensive they were like <laughs> hey they're real expensive uh, yeah well and I, th I think this is something really interesting um is that i guess i guess you know, growing up and, and reading and being engrossed completely in space because I never really stopped. But I always generally thought that things were, were tending in the bigger direction, right? Like, you know, bigger boosters, bigger payloads, like everything's getting bigger. But the problem with bigger is that it adds more complexity, adds more moving parts and more like a ton more cost. And that, um, that instead of it being about how big it is, it's, um, it's just being more efficient at doing it smaller, I guess. Yes. And I, I thought that was... That uh, was there's something called the brutality of the rocketry equation. Ooh, that, that sounds, that sounds uh, fun. What, what, what is that? That is essentially where to launch a bigger payload, you need more fuel. And to carry more fuel, you need a right. bigger rocket. <laughs> right. And so it keeps shrinking and creeps shrinking your payload margin more and more and more until you're just hauling fuel diminishing returns yep 
because that's the brutality of the rocketeer equation yep. you can't escape hauling your fuel yep yep and and I, I bet that just compounds with if you add like people in there right because the more isn't you have to you know, fuel and then you have fuel but you have to you know life support system yeah no it, it, it's it, yeah, it's... Humans take up a relatively large amount of mass comparative to other payloads because we're delicate creatures that require creature comforts such as cooling, heating, <laughs> atmosphere, well, food. Well, well, don't blame that on the on the people. I think that's just a, a, a consequence of being alive in general. Unless you're yes. a, a tardigrade. <laughs> oh, tardigrades. Yeah, check them in a vacuum. They don't care. <laughs> they just hang out there and just vibe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, tardigrades are such a freaky creature. I mean, I don't care that they're micro, micro. Yeah, aren't they microscopic? Yes, but they're also rather macroscopic in the grand yeah. scheme of microscopic things. You yeah, can like, see them with your own eyes, but it is rather difficult. Yes, that that's that's kind of what I heard. <laughs> but yeah, you can you. Like yeah, I mean, what does it take to kill a tardigrade? Like, if you were to set out, like, you know, what? I want, I want to smash these tardigrades. What do you have to do? Drop them in acid? Mm, actually, I think that would kill them, especially something that destroys carbon. So you'd probably, I'd say, nitric acid would screw them over, maybe, but also maybe not. Uh, you probably more towards something like sulfuric acid. Okay, so. When we accidentally bring tardigrades... Alternatively, uh, mechanical crushing, usually. Oh, okay. All right. Mechanical crushing uh, is another... Just, just drop a rock on them. You know, <laughs> dropping a rock from space might be a good idea. If you want to destroy a large amount of them. Just but, nuke uh, the tardigrades. Remember, <laughs> remember, radiation won't kill them. Uh, you have to put them inside the immediate destruction blast zone. So the amount of... In uh, the ridiculously intense... Light, heat, and radiation immediately compounds together and vaporizes them. So, so, but it, but they can take normal, like high doses of radiation, right? Oh yeah, multiple times the lethal dose for humans without even batting an eye. <laughs> oh my goodness, they, they would be such like, um, you know, if, 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 if they were bigger like mammal size i mean they'd they be, would be absolutely terrifying they yeah and it, it, carnivore con, carnivorous uh mammal sized tardigrades i i feel like that's the stuff of a horror movie sci-fi horror movie right there <laughs> oh god that would be terrifying oh my goodness it'd probably end up in some campy b movie like the attack of the killer tomatoes <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably. Or maybe like a, a Dead Space ripoff. <laughs> they... Tardigrades in space. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we all the weapons are ass, have to be acid-based or something. <laughs> wow. Or Tardigrades versus the alien. Because <laughs> it's blood's acid. The fight oh, of the century. Wait, where they get tar use Tardigrades to... Um, Fight aliens. Fight aliens. Oh man. Genetically modified tardigrades to fight aliens, and then in the sequel, the tardigrades are too powerful, and they're killing all the colonists. So then they have to send in the space marines and um, take care of the tardigrades. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Stop! You're gonna give the internet ideas. <laughs> oh, oh goodness, goodness! All right. Well, do you have anything to uh, plug? Uh, Twitter. Uh, you know, uh yes. I websites. can be found on Twitter as Arsenio Dev, 
or my currently under revamping website is discountmissiles.com. Wait, what? Go yes. Discountmissiles.com? I gotta see and check this out. Maybe you could follow along with the stuff that led me to NASA. Discount missiles. Okay. But uh, I'm you... in the middle of a revamp and re uh, rebranding of things over to Discount Missiles. Uh, and it's slow going because I've got to figure out like web dev and stuff because oh, yeah, my using... old blog was eh, sure. at best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? The, the important thing is it got you writing and got you posting. Ooh. Oh yes, DefCon, the um, the new one, oh, that that with in space, the hacking small sats. Oh. oh God! So I'm actually gonna link you, uh, tell uh, tell you to actually interview somebody who flew real satellites. Oh, oh, I have to do this them, and ask them about uh, how the satellite hacking thing is, uh, not exactly the greatest. Wait, really? Yes. They have many gripes with it because they did the real thing and they're like, mm, that doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense as far as why. On, a, on like, no, no, on an actual satellite interface level, they're like, this doesn't make sense. Oh, interesting. All right, I'm gonna, I, I'm, yeah, we're gonna have to book that person because that. I mean, I mean, honestly, I was, I was blown away. I mean, I, I do a lot of, I, I come, my background is like front end web development. Um, branding, UI, UX, that sort of stuff. So I love a well-put-together website. And I loved the DEF CON. Uh, it had, like, that nice cyberpunk space futuristic vibe that I oh, yeah. love so much. But interesting. Okay. But it's not as great as it, it, as it looks out to be. No. Interesting. Okay. Okay, cool. But the last thing I'd have to plug, I'd say, is uh, telling the audience to do personal projects yes. just for the hell of it yes. and write about them. Yes. Well, let me tell you, that stuff is cracked, engineers. We we absolutely love it. You do cool stuff. We like seeing how people think through things, how people approach problems. And hey, doing cool stuff like that also puts you in the engineering mindset and it just feels really awesome when you make things work. Yes, absolutely. So really just don't stop learning. Just yes. take the things you learn from those projects, spin them into other projects, and hey, who knows where those things will lead you? And even they led me to sending things off world, <laughs> which is so cool. <laughs> oh, I think you're the first guest on the show to have actually sent, like, worked on hardware that has actually been sent into space. I think you're the first one. <laughs> so, wow! So congrats. Uh, no, I, I'm glad you brought that up because we're actually on uh, the janky DIY server. We're working on creating a media wiki, which I think is the same software that Wikipedia. It's like the, the engine behind Wikipedia. And so we're working on putting it together just so that it's like an easy... Because we have all these amazing project updates. I mean, we got ornithopters, which are like flapping birds. We got this guy working on a 12-foot mech. We got, you know, everything in between. It's incredible. But we don't have serious documentation. And so... Look out for Ooh. some announcements. We'll be hopefully putting this online soon. We've been having a lot of stupid back-end problems with, like, Nginx and <sighs> trying to get everything working because setting up build tools is a huge pain. But we're getting there, and, yeah, so doc we'll have a place where you can document your projects and... Um, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so much fun. <laughs> and this is another reason why I love having guests like you on the show is that we often think of space as being this, un like, working on hardware for space is, like, this unattainable, like, 
pillar pedestal right but at the end like you can like i i love uh michael uh from applied ion um he's, he's just in his garage and he's like writing the book on open source rocket engine like a uh, small sat thrusters i mean like um, incredible stuff like that or liam uh, last uh week where we talked to him about um you know, using a bowl of water to test his reaction wheels. Like, it's just, like, stuff that you can do at home to affect, you know, democratizing space. And I love that. It's an absolutely mad world out there. It's all, only limitations are really your imagination and uh, your wallet. <laughs> yes, that's the other thing. But even that, even that, it's it's becoming a lot less expensive. Um. <laughs> Especially here in the States with our absolutely phenomenal... Uh, surplus markets they're really? absolutely world class really it's like surplus yes. for space tech no surplus for just like anything like you want high vacuum stuff you can get it oh, drastically yes. cheaper than basically anywhere else in the world here in the states you want server racks i've got a massive 42 u1 in my basement that i built with all the servers ups's and switches for under 500 dollars and i had like 85 terabytes of spinning drives. Wait, how did in, you... And the drives were part of the $500 cost. Wait, how did you even... Was it like Craigslist? Like, how do you even find stuff like that? It's part of the skill sets you learn. Uh, just Scrounging picking out uh, deals and yeah. understanding where to find things, how to negotiate for them. And in general, it's really only possible to make these absolutely absurd uh, deals like that here in the States you do the glut of surplus we have on our markets oh, that is so cool yeah you remind me of um oh, 64 but i forget what is it what is what, what, no liam yeah oh He's, yeah liam. Dude, oh, maybe we hang out all the time irl <laughs> that's awesome yeah he mentioned you um but yeah no some of the like his crazy octopod robot he was working on and all this insane tech that he got from pennies on uh, you know compared to what they you know it would retail as like oh so cool. Oh, yeah. Well, anyways. Yeah, we're, we're the two deal hunters of <laughs> most of our friends group. They're cool. like, oh, yeah, go ask them. They know where to get stuff for cheap. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. All right. Well, glad. so glad you could have you on the show. Finally, after. <laughs> uh, we... uh, a little bit of logistical problems. <laughs> I accidentally uh, overslept. I, I blame well, though it was first my fault because I completely forgot about the uh, <laughs> about the date. <laughs> oh, oh, it's all good. All right, um, and yeah, don't forget to, to follow us on uh, Twitter for for updates. Um, we're also don't also check out the our uh, other podcast, uh, Janky to the Max. Uh, talk just instead of space, just focusing on space projects. We focus on all sorts of different ones from business to um business to you know terrarian projects (laughs) um anyways uh later spacers